Hello and welcome to Nutrition Counseling Unscripted, podcast number five. My name is Kath Morley, pronouns she, they, and I am here in Mi'kma'ki, also known as Nova Scotia. And with me is... Carol Townsend, I go by the pronouns she, her, and I'm here on the traditional lands of Fort William First Nation, also known as Thunder Bay, Ontario. Snowy, Carol. Tis winter in Canada. It is. We are having a major dump o snow here in Nova Scotia. <laughs> so, uh, and you tell me that that's just, that's the way it is, isn't it? Yes, it's snowy and it's cold, but they promise us it's getting warmer. Oh, it'll so only I'm be sure. minus 20. <laughs> and most of Canada is in a deep freeze right now, so... Right. Right. We're not alone. You are a hardy northerner, Carol. Good get on you. All righty. Today we are going to talk about, for podcast five, something that we left off with in podcast four, which is why do we do what we do and not look at the consequences? Does that sound like what we talked about, Carol? Yeah. 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 We, we talked about that idea of sometimes in our practice, we continue to do the same thing, even though it might not feel right to us, without knowing, well, what else could we do? So really exploring that today, I think, is what you and I share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's just be really clear about that, because this is what I wrote down from last time. Why we do what we do and not look at the consequences. So what I think that means to me is why would dietitians, and by we, I mean the collective of us as dietitians, and also I'll make this really personal to me like why would I continue practicing in a way when I and not look at what's happening as a result of my way of being with people in a counseling situation which calls upon me or all of us to think about so once a person goes away from the counseling scenario be that online or telephone or in person what happens to them like what happens with their life because we'd like to think at least I'd like to think in myself in this work that I'm doing the work I do because it will have a positive effect with another person like I'm helping them somehow in their life but I never would know unless I ask Exactly. And I think we just take for granted that I give you the information, you understand the information I gave you, Mm. and now you're going to go implement it, Mm. which may not be the case. Right. I know you and I talked before, but why did they come to see us in the first place? And understanding that. Yeah. And then recognizing that it's not necessarily a transfer of knowledge always. Carol? I'm, I'm kidding. That was me being very sarcastic. Really? Well, and I think this is really important. And we talked about that in podcast two of your, uh, the, the concept that you have of fear nuggets, that people are carrying fear nuggets and they may or may not want to show us. And we may or may not want to see it, quite frankly. And back to something else we've talked about in a previous podcast of how we were trained and what we were trained to expect our jobs would be and finding out that in reality, things turn out very, very different. So what I'm thinking about is, well, how would we know what, okay, well, first of all, it's, it, there's an implication here that you'll see a person more than once as a dietitian. And I think one of the things that's really important for us to reckon with as dietitians is if we're in positions where we do only see people more than once, how can we change that? How can there be some kind of follow-up with people? I had the great fortune to work at a cancer treatment facility where you saw people over and over and over again throughout their whole journey. You know, when you build relationships with them, they come to trust you. You have that as well, right, Carol, in your in your work now? Yes, I've always been lucky that way. You know, even when I was in hospital, I would see people several times to help them get 
the setup with what they needed, right? Versus, you know, just a one-time half-hour consult, right? So, yeah. yeah. And, and I see that many of our colleagues who have private practice counseling setups, uh, what would you call that? Private practice counselors, I guess, is what they are. <laughs> <laughs> that they do have a structure of there's an initial consult and then there are at least two follow-ups that I've, I've noticed in people's in their fee structure and so on, which I think is really, really advisable to do that how many times a person would need to follow up well that's up to the person like that's not up to the dietitian to figure that out I don't think but but boy more than once because as I'm fond of saying and you've heard me say it before what's the difference between me and a brochure rack if like a one-off here's a bunch of information bye have a nice life that sounding's a bit harsh but uh (laughs) you know here's the information bye you don't know And, and are you doing are you really providing the service you set out to provide? Oh, exactly. I know what you mean. And I think you and I were sort of talking about that, that idea of someone being discharged from hospital. You know, they're, they've they got their coat on, they're halfway out the door, and they call the dietitian. Oh, you need to tell them about whatever it happens to be. They have liver failure or they have, yeah. you know, yeah. kidney. And in a five-minute piece where they're not even thinking about it. Yeah. And, you know, Carol, I think about the nurses who've called me or unit clerks who've called me in the past. This is a long while back, but nevertheless, you know, we've called the taxi for so-and-so and and we want you to come up and see them before the taxi gets here. And, ah, you know, and so that makes me think, okay, well, what what are the perceptions of those nurses and those unit clerks or those physicians that that's all it is when we offer nutrition counseling. So I think we've talked about this before, and I certainly talk with students about this a lot. What's the difference between diet instruction and nutrition counseling? And there's a world of difference. And the diet information giving, diet instruction, you don't actually need a person to do that. You, people can look things up on the internet. They, you can have brochures available to give people. You know, again, we need to ask ourselves how helpful is that because on research projects, you know, that look at what did people actually do with printed information, a lot of it hits a recycle can or bin. They never, it never, it's not doing what the intent was that you get information that's very lovely, simplistic, uh, you know, logical, rational approach that of course doesn't work. I'll give information they'll jump right on that and incorporate it into their lives and then we'll all be happy I'm being very sarcastic for listeners if they don't know that that's my way of being in the world you know I'm being very sarcastic on purpose because if what we're finding out that what we know is that sometimes people take the brochures and walk in the door and put them right in the recycle can right I never called it a can in my life now I'm calling it a can a bin a bag or whatever they put it right into recycling then let's not bother does it appease our conscience a little bit well at least I gave them the information maybe maybe that's what it is because I think if if we know that it appeases us because I gave them the information but what does it do to us as dietitians of Yes, I gave them the information, but was it received in a way that I would have wanted to have provided it to them? Is this really what I want my practice and my services to look like? And I think about that idea you and I have talked about before, where how you and I sort of ended up where we are was by doing what we call self-reflection. Really taking a look at, and I like to do this after every time I meet with one of one of the people that come to see me and think about, okay, what went well in that session? What do I think I got across to them? Is there anything that stands out to me that maybe I 
didn't say or that I might have said in a way that was really convoluted that maybe they didn't understand. I also now ask people when they leave my session, I'd like you just to think about our session. What stood out for you? Is there something I could have done differently? Or do you have questions? You know, like if between now and when I get to see you next time, because again, I have that privilege of being able to meet with people more than once bring it back so that we can talk about it. I find during my own self-reflection, sometimes there's things that, you know, I'll sit there and I'll go like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. Yes. Or, you know, it just does not resonate very well with me. Yes. And I think one of the key things to do is to be able to own it. So when I do get to see the person next time, I will bring up, you know, as I was thinking back over our last session, I was talking about this and it doesn't sit very well with me. I'm just wondering how that was for you. Mm. And is this something that maybe you and I need to explore a little bit further so that we can make sure that everything's okay? Like it. So in you saying that, it seems to, there, I have a couple of thoughts that I'd like to share with you. It seems that there are really three ways that a person could, a dietitian could get some feedback about their, their approach, their work. And you can, I'm just going to put these out there and see what you think. One is what you just said. So there's personal reflection. So a person by themselves, you were mentioning, you sit back and think about it. Like, and it's not like you're spending a half an hour doing it, Carol. You're spending a few minutes to replay the thing in your head, right? Well, exactly. Especially like as I'm preparing my note. Yes. That I, that yes. I have to do my charting. Yes. A lot of time that's where my reflection's coming in. Okay. So there's self-reflection. There's reflection with the person, either the next time you see them or right then. And I could provide a little scenario about that, what I used to do when I was in a counseling role. And then the third thing is more of a formal evaluation, which funnily enough, I just submitted an article for publication that's revisiting an evaluation, an instrument to gather client perceptions about their experience with the dietitian. So published that first in 94 and now republishing it. Can you believe it? It's going to be 30 years later. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that be but I think there's a formal way to do it right and, and that's what that instrument is meant to do is how do you gather client perceptions in a way that you can count up a few numbers and have some data to to and, and to, to get information to share. that's meaningful yes for you as the dietitian yes. I, I think you and I were chatting before many times if you work for a company they might do evaluations but it doesn't necessarily give you the information that you're looking for. So it's nice that, you know, no. to know that there are different tools out there oh, yes. that could be used. Yes. And I think what's really important based on what you just said is we have to think about what the outcome measures are. So the instrument that I've been working on is people's perceptions about how relevant was this counseling session to me. However, there are evaluation instruments that look at changes in nutrition knowledge or changes in in attitudes and we know that nutrition knowledge is inversely correlated with behavior that means the more people know that they score well on tests of nutrition knowledge the more they are able or they are able to manipulate their diets the way they want them to be which is fantastic and they should be congratulated that they know how to manage their diabetes or their renal function because their knowledge is so high so it might not be the the, the behavior that the healthcare team wanted them to engage in but it's working for them do you know what i mean like i know how to manipulate my insulin to eat whatever i want good think like a pancreas right <laughs> and, and so we have to question the traditional do knowledge gains actually help us understand anything about what people got out of I the think counseling that is such a beautiful example of because one of the buzzwords right is client-centeredness yeah 
And what you just explained was the fact of maybe it wasn't the expectations that the team wanted them to have, but they have that knowledge and they know how to to take and apply it to themselves for what's going to work for them. I think that's fantastic, right? Exactly. That's what I would like people to do. Yeah. I remember, I think I've mentioned it on another podcast. One of my kids, one of their friends was diagnosed with diabetes when he was 15 and in desperation, you know, trying to follow patterns and count carbs and all this sort of thing. And finally, the pediatric endocrinologist said, look, I just want you to think like a pancreas. Think like a pancreas and, and you can eat what you want, but just give yourself enough insulin. That's what they did. And guess what? Blood sugars were great. You know, hemoglobin yeah. A1C, great. Because he was a smart kid. He could figure out. Oh, this many carbs, you know, and and of course uh, now of this job I have as a professor, I meet lots of students who have lots. But every year there's two or three students who have who live with type one diabetes, and that's what they do. That's how they get through life. They are stars at knowing about the metabolic effects of the food that they eat. How much? Fun. Like I said, like you know, if you eat a piece of bread, how like this just to illustrate when they were learning about diabetes. If you're going to have a sandwich, how much insulin would you give yourself? And then they kind of do this fantastic. Well, like, what kind of bread is it? And like, what's in the sandwich? Because it's all about fiber content. It's all about how much fat is there in there that will, how much protein is in that sandwich for for digestion and how long it's going to take. And I go, okay, I'm just like, I'm like a peanut butter sandwich. And they're going, well, like, what kind of bread? You know, so. What kind of peanut butter? Is it sliced thick or thin? You know, and so I think, wow, they are walking I don't know what you'd even call it. Like, it's just so astonishingly wonderful that they know how to process that information so fast. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm hearing you say is people are in charge of their own lives. Yeah. And that's what we really want. I think as dietitians, we don't want people to be dependent on us. We want them to be able to take the information, the knowledge, the support that we're giving them and apply it to their lives so that they can live a full life the way that they want to live. And that's what it sounds like your students have done when it comes to their their insulin, right? They really learned about themselves and what are my patterns in life? What are these different things so that I can live my life the way I want to live my life? Absolutely, Carol. And it's not just what they eat, right? It's um, do they have an do they have an assignment? Do they have a presentation that they're going to make? Do they have their period? You know, like all kinds of things. I, I once had a student who um, it was adorable. So she was doing her presentation, her research presentation, and uh, just before it, she said to me, "Hey, hey, calf, my blood sugar is blah blah blah, whatever it was, right?" She said, "I haven't even." eaten very much and it had just like super high and then she sat down the next student gave their presentation and she goes hey my blood sugar is you know and it was back down to normal right just because the anxiety of having to do that presentation just caused you know like uh, metabolically somebody who's listening will know metabolically what was going on to me is enough to know the blood sugar would go up right so so I think just because people have high knowledge who are we to decide what the right knowledge to assess is I was telling you I was reviewing a paper yesterday and they were the, the authors of that paper were talking about changes in knowledge attitudes and and behaviors very classic you know adult education principles of these are the things we're assessing knowledge attitudes and behaviors but they didn't tell us 
what the knowledge was that they were testing, right? So there's a really big, and these are people living with um, a, a form of cancer. So there's a really big difference between assessing it, the knowledge about how much vitamin C is there in an orange or how much vitamin C should I be taking a day and the knowledge that is when I'm really in trouble and I'm having an intestinal blockage, I know who to call or I know where to go. Those are really different. And they and the authors didn't share what knowledge they were assessing. So the whole thing was kind of useless, right? Well, I also think in that study, did they find out what people's knowledge was when they came in? Because I think sometimes there's an assumption that people don't know anything. Okay, well, I just and... put my head in my hands when Carol asked that question. For those of you who are imagining what my reaction was, yeah, just like drop my head. No, and Carol, these were super sick people who were having chemotherapy for for ga- a gastrointestinal cancer. So so let's like factor in sickness too. Because we shouldn't be measuring knowledge in that situation. These are people barely coping. <laughs> you know, are you sleeping? Right, getting enough liquid in. You know what I mean? Are you, is your urine a good color? Do you have enough energy to stay awake part of the day? You know, those are the kinds of things we want to, I would want to know as a dietitian working. Exactly. Can you, are there any foods that you can actually eat and tolerate? Right. You know, that's yeah. what I'd like to do so we could build on that. Are you taking your anti-nausea, you. anti-vomiting meds? That's what I'd like to know. Stuff like that. Anyway. Exactly. So knowledge by itself, I'm, I'm just thinking about listeners going, what, what are they talking about? What we assess as knowledge really matters. And that's why I say if you're going to do a formal evaluation, I would steer away from assessing knowledge and really get at what did I get out of this session with the dietitian? Because the knowledge is not helpful as a parameter. If anybody wants to be in touch with me about that, they can be because I I, I, I think it's important for us to, to yeah. really think carefully about how we formally evaluate our services. Exactly. I think about, you know, in school where they make you memorize stuff and you re- regurgitate it. Did a really good job of that. How much of that is still in my brain? Not a whole lot. Okay, so here are two sets of statistics that I cite often with students. When you look at educational assessment, that when a person writes an exam that's based on memory, the evening after they've written that exam, they have forgotten 50% of what they memorized. And if you ask them a month later, they've forgotten 90%. And what I always say to students is, guess how much I want you to remember of what we're covering today? 100%. I want you to, (laughs) so I don't do testing that way because I know it's fleeting. I, you know, and I know in dietetics, if we learn something, it's because we're going to have to use it one day. Like we are the quintessential, the difference between acquiring knowledge and actively using that information. We need to remember it all. So that's one set of stats. And then when you go, when you look at this study was shocking. It was looking at knowledge retention of people who had seen health professionals. It doesn't really matter, you know, were they dietitians or not, doesn't matter. It was the retention of the knowledge was very low, something like 20 to 30%. And half of what they remembered was incorrect. (laughs) Right? So... (laughs) Ergo, that, that just speaks to knowledge as, a, as an outcome. And what you were talking about earlier, and I invite you now to say a lot more about that, Carol, is about what do people, making it personalized, making it person-centered, making it about their lives so that they don't have to memorize things. It just is something that happens because it makes sense for their lives. Yeah, definitely. I look at that and think about what makes sense in their lives. I also think when you were just sharing that last statistic about that knowledge retention rate being very low, it's really looking at the person's lives and where they are and what therapists a lot of times like to call the window of opportunity. 
depending what's going on in your life, and I'm thinking about somebody who is being discharged from hospital, they have had so much thrown at them that they're probably not going to retain very much of what I have to share. However, give them a couple of weeks after being home and they come in. It's a very different place because now their life is starting to normalize itself to what it was previously. And they have that opportunity to be able to look and say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm doing this. Is that the right thing? Yes. And, and really finding, I think that's where we can be the most beneficial as dietitians, is working with people when those opportunities arise and the person is in the place to be able to seek out the information that they're looking for or question yeah, what it Carol, is. Yeah, and Carol, what you said there about reassuring folks that what they're doing is absolutely ideal for their, is okay for their situation, is so valuable. And I think oftentimes as, I'm thinking about myself as a, as a young dietitian, a new dietitian. Well, wait a second, I've got all this nutrition knowledge and I want to impart it to someone. I've, I've worked yes. very hard to retain this knowledge. <laughs> and then you find out that people, that's not relevant for people. No. It sent me into a bit of a tailspin, I have to admit, when I was a uh, pretty new to practice nobody cares how much stuff I know but I better yeah. know my stuff yeah so this whole I, nutrition educator nutrition counseling role is a tough one because we have to refashion we have to rethink what is it that I'm doing exactly and how in depth do I need to go I work with some people again when I can assess their knowledge of them coming in because people when they come to see a dietitian they've already done research yes, they there's have. so much opportunity um so if someone's coming in because they have renal failure or they've got kidney or have had a heart attack they've already been doing that research so it's understanding what does the person in front of me already know and helping people navigate their lives and how that information that they know might fit or might actually be harmful and can I now share with you what I know from the most recent research around this, hmm. which might be more beneficial? So if we may, we could wander over for a moment to this whole question that I was sharing with you, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, the Dietitian Support Facebook group. Questions around somebody has come because they want weight loss advice or they've been referred for weight loss advice. And I don't feel as a dietitian, I don't support that. What do I do? So I think what you just said lends itself very well to that uh, that scenario. And, and a lot of people, as I was sharing with you, a lot of dietitians chimed in and said, yeah, I face this situation every day. So I think it's, it would be good for us to talk about that. And also to say, to mention the, what's it called? Weight Inclusive Dietitians in Canada. Yes. Which is another group that uh, we both value. I think that you said or somebody else said in the Facebook group that this is the kind of thing we talk about. It is. Yeah. It's one of those things. I think weight loss is a very difficult situation for dietitians to be in because many times people are told by their primary care provider, just lose weight mm -hmm. instead of looking at what the real issue is. And so, of course, people come to us with this already set notion that the ultimate outcome is I have to lose weight. And if I don't lose weight, I'm not successful. And as dietitians, we do know that people can lose weight like you wouldn't believe. It's maintaining that weight loss that becomes really difficult. And I've, I talk a lot about the fact that if diets actually worked, it wouldn't be a billion dollar industry. So it's really helping people understand what it is that I can do as a dietitian. So I, I hear clients and I, and I really like to support them and say, I hear your concerns about weight. What I can do is I can really help you understand what your body's needs are and help you figure out how can I nourish my body 
so that my body can work the best for me. What you do after when you leave here is up to you. So if people decide to choose dieting, I like to talk about the research. I like to talk about the effects of yo-yo dieting and how that can actually be more harmful. Ultimately, it's their decision. If they choose that, no, I need to lose weight because that's the priority and I don't see my condition, whatever it happens to be, if it's a health condition or something, getting better unless I lose weight, then that's your choice. I just need to let them know up front that I will not be making you a meal plan with a specific piece of weight loss because I know more importantly around nourishing the body. Thanks, Carol. I, I love that perspective. I, I can I can help you understand what you need for your optimal functioning of your body. What you do with that information is up to you. I, I think that's really important. And it's a line I think we could, could look at ourselves in the mirror and say over and over and over again to practice it because... I'm thinking about, and I don't know if this is a Canadian thing or it's just me, but I think it's pretty widespread. We like people to like us. And if somebody comes back and says, and so I'm not, I'm, I was listening to what you said, Carol, and I was thinking, how can it be that people would come back and say, seeing you was a waste of time to a dietitian, right? When it's not on the dietitian, our job is to do what you just said. I can provide you with the information. It's not up to me after that. And I think for myself, it's the idea of if I promised you weight loss, I'm setting you up for failure. I always talk very honestly with the people I work with about what my limitations are, knowing that I want whatever you're choosing to do and the work that we're going to do together for you to find success and what success would be for you. And just with my my knowledge, my experience, I know that putting you on main goal of weight loss is not going to be success. However, sometimes when we make changes, we don't know what our weight's going to do. Sometimes it's a secondary function, like a, a side effect. Our main goal might be we're really going to work on nourishing ourselves regularly so that we're eating regularly so that our body knows it's going to get food, knows that it's going to be able to, to function. I'm going to have the energy to do those things that I want to do, regardless of what my weight chooses to do. And of course, there's the whole large area of consideration, which is what does what do people imagine weight loss would mean for them in their lives, which we're not going to talk about today. If you're interested in that as a listener, the Weight Inclusive Dietitian's in Canada. Vinci Choi, that's her mission in life, I think. Uh, Vinci is facilitates a group all around that, so I highly recommend. Yes, I, I really appreciate the group because, again, it really provides a lot of support for dietitians who are sitting there going, I'm not sure what to do. What I was thinking of is mainstream really talks about you can, you can be any size you want to be. It's just a matter of willpower. Yet, we know that it isn't. So really trying to change the narrative of what is being given to people. And that's one of the beautiful pieces that Vinci is doing with the Weight Inclusive Dietitians. It's giving dietitians that support or helping dietitians connect for that support of how do we change that narrative and what's my role in changing the narrative. That's great. Thank you. Oh, that's really... It's important. And so if you're feeling that way and you're listening to uh, our podcast and you're feeling that sense of loneliness and overwhelmedness about I don't know what to do, check out Weight Inclusive Dietitians in Canada. And you don't have to be in Canada <laughs> for that to happen. You could be anywhere in the whole wide world. Okay, so Carol, let's uh, circle back. You called it inviting people to reflect on the experience that they had during counseling. What I have, what I always did was you, know, you start off with your assessment, ye old nutrition care planning model, where you start off with the assessment. Remember what you said on podcast number one, like why this, why now? 
Why are you here? Why now? And then what I've always did after that was saying, okay, here's what I just heard from what you said. Do I have that right? And then I, what I've said, what I always say to people, so here's how this usually fun goes. I will tell you what I think I heard. I will provide you with information about what we know about people in your situation. We'll troubleshoot together. What does that mean for you? And I'm looking for the aha, the light on your face that goes, oh, I see what to do now. And if I don't see that, we'll keep talking. And then we'll circle back to what did you come in here for? At the, what did you say you came in here for in the first place? And we'll get to where did we get to? And is I'm making a little circle with my hands as I'm as I'm talking to ensure that the person really got what they wanted. And I would tell you, I never kept stats on this, but almost all the time, the thing that they said at the outset of here's why I'm here and where we got to, we're not the same place. And so this is another really interesting phenomena that people will, I call it gravitate to a nutrient, but that's a bit metaphoric. What that means is they will come to see a dietitian or certainly came to see me having already decided based on what you just said, Carol, they've looked stuff up. They've already do, done some reading. They've talked to the neighbor over the back fence you know they've all done all of this information gathering and the way that our brains function as humans none of us want to look like we're we don't know what's going on or you know we can't cope or whatever so we want to look like we've got it all together and a way to do that in our culture here is through having a scientific explanation for things so people will often present a scientific explanation they certainly did to me I'm sure that other people have had or experienced that too I was thinking what I need to do is consume more magnesium or I was thinking what I need to do is have more vitamin C. They've already have some kind of scientific explanation. And then it's up to us through the course of that consultation to clarify those expectations. You've talked about that as well, about expectations. Carol's nodding to everything I say, so that's comforting. <laughs> and, and then revisit and make sure, okay, when you came in here, you asked me about should I have more vitamin C or should vitamin C sources, has that issue been addressed for you? And then almost all, or, or you came in here asking for low fat recipes and that's not in fact the thing that's relevant in this situation. I'm being a bit more blunt now with all of you in this podcast than I would be in person. You know, that's not where we ended up. How are you feeling about all of that? And they'll go, oh yeah, well, I was way off track. I've heard that so many times. Like it's like a, well, that's why I can talk about it because it's just so common that that happened right i'm nodding because you're right many times people come in with this idea of knowledge and i was just thinking as you were talking about you know sort of that process one of the things that i will ask clients at assessment because again working not in private practice this is how will you know when you don't need to come see me anymore mm. and it really makes people start to think about it's like yeah what is it because if they come in and say like I'm thinking maybe I need to have more vitamin C or tell me what foods have vitamin C in it. Yeah, that's a one session thing. But recognizing it lets them start to think a bit deeper about, oh, what is it about the vitamin C that is concerning for me? As a dietitian, that means that, again, it's up to the client on the number of sessions and stuff like that they feel that they're going to need from us. But if they have an idea of what success looks like for them, it really helps us understand what success is because it's about their goals, their expectations, not mine. Thanks for that, Carol. Something that triggered for me when you were talking was we also have to recognize as dietitians, and then we're going to stop after I say this because it's time yes. to wrap up, but maybe this is for next time, is we're safe. As dietitians, we're safe people to talk to. When people have something very serious going on 
socially, that the person that they share that information with happens to be us. If spousal abuse or could be all kinds of all kinds of things that are happening in people's lives, that the person that they've chosen to share that with is one of us as a dietitian. And then what is our responsibility? And maybe this is the only safe place they are in a week, in a month, is in our in our office or, or wherever they, they have met us. And our responsibility to make sure they get, well, you are, Carol, a dietitian and a social worker, but none of the rest of us are. So, so making sure that we connect people with the right services and the right support. Definitely. I know what you're talking about because I even think about in my role, if I'm hired as a dietitian, I'm not a social worker in this role. So how do I stay within my scope and what is deemed my scope of the college, but still be able to help the person as a dietitian with what, what it is that they need or so that they can be safe? Yeah. I'm thinking about a, a story I heard from a colleague who back as a younger dietitian way back you know, decades ago, of a woman who came in repeatedly for support about weight loss, since we talked about that earlier, only to find out. And then after saying for a while, after, you know, months, look, we're not getting anywhere here. I don't think that is there any value in you coming back anymore, perhaps questioning the, the value of the service, and only to find out later that it was the only safe place this woman had to go in a week, she was allowed to leave the house for medical appointments but no other reason. And so she was living in a really horrible situation. And when then cutting her off from nutrition services was in fact putting her in in more danger. So I think I, I just want to mention that kind of thing because I know that does come up in practice. And I think it's what you just said, Carol, like if we're working as dietitians, we are not social workers. And it is our responsibility to make sure not to keep putting people into dangerous situations, but to help connect them to the right to the right thing. And to recognize they might not want that. They may not want that at all. It's a tough place to be in, and maybe we can talk about that some other time. Yes, I agree, because it is another very large topic. Another very large topic. Okay, Carol, from snowy Nova Scotia to... Chile, Northern Ontario. Chile, Northern Ontario. <laughs> we are going to say bye-bye uh, for Podcast 5, and wish you all well. And Carol, take care. You too, Kat. Okay, bye. Bye.